You may be seated, unless you want to stand for the entire sermon. That's it's actually okay with me. It's okay with me. If you're viewing online, we're so great, grateful that you're here as well. Today is a really great day as we get to hear testimony of what God's doing, that if we don't hear it, we won't know it, right? So let that be a reminder to us that when God is doing something in your life, share it. Don't keep it silent because it's so encouraging. And there was a word that, that Rob said inside of um, his um, just telling what God had done, and that was the word prepare. You know, we are called to prepare, right? We're called not just to show up. This, this group of students just didn't get on a plane last Sunday and go, okay, God, I'm on the plane. I'm here. Use me if you can. No, what they did is they went through a process of preparation. Because it's in the process of preparation that God refines us. He refines us to who he really is. And our expectations start to align with who he is, not who we want him to be, right? And it allows us to be prepared to go wherever he wants to go. Because what Rob also shared was there was a whole list of things that they had not an idea or a clue that was going to happen. When their feet hit the ground, they did not know that they were walking into a ministry moments before them. But because their hearts were prepared and their yes to the Lord to follow him was already set, they could walk into what God had prepared for them. I'm about to leave on Thursday with a group of 52 really, really excited people. Do you know why they're really excited? Some know. (laughs) I'm hearing it. Some know, and maybe you will be on the next trip. But they are going to Israel on Thursday. That's right. Okay, those would be the people going. The people not clapping or the people not going. I understand. Maybe one day it will happen. I get it. But I tell you what, we have prepared as well. We have spent the whole month of January spending time together on a weekly basis, just really digging in to where we're going, what we're going to see, preparing our heart, praying together, studying together, and just learning together. Because we want it to be the most um, fruitful time that it could possibly be in our lives. And preparation allows that to happen in my heart as well as my hands. Now, there, sometimes preparation goes to the, the nth degree. I'm looking. Yeah, I see her. So we have one on the, on the trip, and I would never say her name as Betty Hoffa. I would never do that to her. <laughs> Betty Hoffa has been prepared because her suitcase has been packed for probably three to four weeks already. So she... Yeah. She is ready to go. That takes it to a a new degree. But I share that word, and you've heard me say prepare, prepare, prepare. And I've said that and used those examples for a very specific reason. Because you might not have gone on the Guatemala trip, and you might not be going to Israel yet. But each of us are about to start a journey together tomorrow. A 21-day journey and adventure. Do you know what happens in 21 days from Monday? Easter happens. Easter happens. How often do we really prepare for Easter? We do a lot of preparation for for Christmas, right? A lot. But sadly, often we wake up Easter weekend, and maybe the only reminder that we have is that we start thinking of what we're going to wear on Easter. May it be different this year. May this be a year that we 
prepare. And we don't want to just say to you as a church, your pastors aren't saying, okay, church, prepare. We want to help you prepare. And we have a 21-day adventure called Pray 21. When you came in, you might have received it. Um, There's a prayer guide available for you. It looks just like this. 21 days that are listed out for you that we as a church really want to go, go through. And so inside of that, you're going to have 21 days that we're inside of the same scripture that we're praying together, the same desires of our heart before the Lord. So that's happening and starting tomorrow. And then during Holy Week, during Holy Week, the week before Easter, we're going to open up the worship center from 11 to 1, Monday through Thursday, that you can just come and pray. There will be some self-guided times that you can come. Just come at any point and stay as long as you would like to come inside of that. We would be thrilled about that, that we can build our hearts. And we are leading all into this Good Friday service that's going to happen on April the 7th. If you came last year, you know that you would not miss this year. If you didn't come last year, you need to come because it is an incredible time that we just sit inside of those seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. That we just sit with them. And let the weight of what Christ has done for us, let that weight be inside of our heart that we can build inside of an understanding and a new depth and a new degree of what Christ has done for us. And all of that is so that we walk in this place on Easter Sunday morning having been prepared. Can you imagine? Can you imagine us walking in really prepared as the body of Christ? That the celebration of his resurrection would be something that has built within us. We want to invite you to do that. So this morning, instead of me just doing announcements of what's coming, I want to prepare you. I don't want to just give an announcement, hand you a booklet and say, all right, do it. But I want us to be faithful in this moment. Your pastors want us to be faithful with you as we shepherd you. Because we want you to enter tomorrow morning prepared. So this morning is going to be very different. It's not going to be a sermon. It's going to be a time of preparing you. And I hope that you receive it. Receive it as that. And so just like Rob's mission trip and just like my mission trip demands preparation. This is what I'm really understanding more and more in my own life is that preparation is the key to fully experiencing the journey. And that's what we want to do. And this journey is not going to be 21 days of just random scriptures. We are really excited about the journey we're going to be on. We're going to start in verse one of Mark and we're going to go all the way to the end of Mark in 21 days. And not only is that going to be an incredible journey for Pray 21 that leads and culminates on his resurrection on April the 9th of Easter Sunday morning, but it is also begins the new sermon series that we're entering into. So you, at the very beginning of this sermon series, you are going to travel through the whole book of Mark in 21 days. And you know, sometimes knowing where we're beginning is so helpful. And these four Gospels that we have, say them with me, Matthew, Luke, and John, it's so easy to think of them all as the same, but they are not. 
There's a reason we have four. And you can even kind of understand why we have four of where they each begin. You have the the gospel according to John. It starts in the beginning. From the very beginning, that is where its starting place is. From the gospel of Matthew, it starts with the lineage of Jesus starting with Abraham. The gospel of Luke starts with the birth of Christ. And the gospel of Mark begins with the inauguration of Jesus' ministry in the waters of the Jordan in his baptism. So you start to see even the audience and the, the perspective that each of the writers have. And so on this first day, which starts tomorrow for Pray 21, you are going to be in the Jordan. Some of us will actually be in the Jordan on this Monday. I promise that will almost be my last reference to Israel inside this message. I'm so excited. I'm just beyond excited. Um, But your first day will start as well in those Jordan waters of his baptism, and it will lead all the way 21 days to his resurrection. So maybe... Maybe you can understand. Can you see that I'm excited about this? Well, let me repeat the whole intro then. No, I I am so excited. I'm not excited about this pamphlet. I'm excited about what God's going to do in you and in me in these 21 days, in, in us in these 21 days. But I have to tell you that this began not with excitement for me when I, I knew it was Mark, It actually was initial disappointment that it was Mark. I would have preferred something else. I fell into the same trap that so many people before me have fallen into. And at first glance, it's really easy to consider the gospel of Mark the lesser of the gospels. That it's lesser than Matthew, Luke, and John. Because see, as the gospel of Mark stands next to these other gospels, it's easy to overlook it underestimate it, and neglect it. As the gospel of Mark stands next to Matthew, Matthew digs into the Old Testament and the prophecies. Remember, it starts with Abraham. So his audience is that Hebrew audience. and It digs deep into those Old Testaments and prophecies and showing Jesus as his long-awaited Messiah King. But Mark has few and far between of Old Testament references. And Jewish customs. Where Luke is the longest of all of the Gospels. Mark stands as the shortest of all of the Gospels. And where the Gospel according to John emphasizes Jesus as the unique Son of God through his words. Oh, so many words of Christ and his miracles. Mark includes the fewest of Christ's words And miracles of any of the other gospels. So you can see why it feels less than. And we've been studying these last couple of weeks on that theme of humility. Those last two weeks. Just really powerful concepts and themes of our heart that reminds me of that humility of Christ that we're called to. And I want to tell you for the last five weeks as I've been in the gospel of Mark. The Lord has brought me to a place of humility And what I've come to believe is that Mark is small, but it is mighty. That it is simple in format, yet complex in its structure. That its language is common, yes. 
But its understanding is very challenging. And in my humility, I neglected something. So something I neglected to learn was that many believe that this was the first gospel that was written, that it would have been written before 70 A.D. when the temple fell. And so if it's the first gospel that was written, it is very likely and very easy to think through that it could have served as a primary source for the gospels of Matthew and Luke. All of a sudden, its importance is rising in my heart. Another thing that I completely overlooked was this the intentionality and authority of the work of Christ. You see, when I've taught and I've dug into um, Matthew and Luke and especially John, it was the words of Christ. It was all those words in red that I would dig into and love every moment, but Mark doesn't have a lot of red words in it. But it has something that is much bigger than even words, and it is a love story of redemption that cannot be stopped. And the last thing that I underestimated was the the unique point of view of Mark himself, the person of Mark. And and these others, how can I not be drawn into this firsthand account of the apostles of, of Matthew and John and And how can you resist not digging into this Gentile guy named Luke, who's a physician, who not only wrote that gospel, but also wrote the book of Acts. So much material, so much to dig into. But Mark, who is he? And so as we we dig into who he is, we start to discover, although there's not a lot of information about him, the information we have is amazing. So before you start tomorrow, I want you to know who the likely author of that book is. Because it matters, right? It matters. Who wrote it so you can understand the perspective and the story behind the story. And so his name is actually referred to as John Mark. And that tells you a lot. Why? Because it tells you that he went by two names. John, his Hebrew name, and and Mark, his Greek name. That tells you that he had relationships in, in both worlds in that. And it starts to make so much sense that John Mark wrote to an audience of persecuted Roman believers. And so that's why he didn't include a lot of Matthew's detail of the Old Testament in prophecies. That's why his language was very common and and very simple. Because it was referring to a lot of stories that these maybe never knew before. So he's communicating to his his Greek audience in such a way that they would understand so that they they could believe. There's a verse that's a really incredible verse. It's Acts 12, 12. It tells us about John Mark's mom. I don't know about you, but my mom is pretty special to me. And so many times we can know each other by our mom. And my mom is a hero of mine, and she has invested so much into me. And John Mark and I have that in common because his mom was exactly the same. Look at Acts 12, 12. When he realized this, who's he? Peter. When Peter realized this, what's the this? That he had just been 
miraculously freed from prison by an angel. That's, that's a pretty big deal, right? Has any, have any of you ever been rescued from a prison from an angel? All right, pretty big deal. And so when he was freed from that, where did he go? He went to the house of Mary, listen, the mother of John, whose other name is Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So in this climax of a moment for Peter, where did he go? John Mark's house. Who was there? A whole gathering of of these first century disciples and believers and following Christ. What were they doing? They were praying. This home was a home that was frequented by the disciples themselves. They would have been in this home. So John Mark is growing up in that kind of a world, hearing those kinds of stories with his heart becoming more and more expanded to the work of Christ himself. And then his relatives, beyond his mom, we also see that he had a cousin named Barnabas. Does that sound familiar to you? Because Barnabas and Paul went on the first missionary journey, and John Mark served as their assistant. Now, at the end of that, it kind of went awry, and there were some disagreements that happened, and John Mark fell away, especially from Paul. But that's the beauty of God's word. It's his real people. And we see the real restoration and reconciliation that God can do because in the 10 years following, Paul and John Mark reconciled together. We see that in the book of Colossians. So he's, he's on the mission field assisting these incredible people. But of all the stories, it comes down to maybe these two words of a relationship that reveals the most about this gospel of Mark that we will be digging into starting tomorrow. And it's in 1 Peter 5.13. At the very end of this first epistle, Peter writes, She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And here's the important part. And so does Mark say the two words together. My son. What does that tell you? It tells you that there was a relationship between Peter and between John Mark that went beyond acquaintances. I have one person, especially in my life, that would call me my son besides my earthly father. And I know what that relationship is like. I can only imagine what John Mark's relationship was like for Peter. So why is that important? It's important because when you start day one, Tomorrow, I pray 21, you are likely holding the stories of Peter that have been told to John Mark. It kind of changes things, right? When you read through and you go through your 21 days and you start to see, man, Peter just really has kind of a bad light inside of this, this gospel. Well, it may very well be the humility of Peter that he doesn't want to boast because he's already done that and that didn't work well, right? He wants us to see Christ. And Peter knows that Christ will be more seen, just like we know, in our weaknesses and not in our strength. Just a thought. So inside of that, it becomes a powerful display of 
of the gospel itself. So Mark's gospel is a valuable thing that we are going to be walking through. I'm so excited for your heart to match my heart at the end saying, I love this gospel. You know, when we go to the Israel trip, and I promise this is my last reference. When we go, when we go to the Israel trip, that group of 52 people are going to hear these comments from my lips several times through the, the trip. Now, this is where, or they might hear, make sure you pay attention to, or they may hear, please don't miss this. Or they might hear this, keep looking, there's something deeper to be seen here. Actually, that's probably the one they're going to hear the most in that. Because what we see, we sometimes, we think we know when we really don't. So as I've spent five weeks in this, and we're about to spend a really long time in Mark. So get comfortable with Mark, all right? But I want to tell you some things to look for in your 21 days that have been a part of my five weeks. The first one is this, and you might want to write these down. The movement of Christ. If the gospel of Mark is not banking on the words of Christ, it's really banking on the movement of Christ. Write this word down because you are going to see it as I count in the book of Mark 41 times. And this is the word. Immediately. Write that word down. Immediately. 41 times Mark uses that word immediately. So as Jesus is the main character of this story, and you have this word immediately, it is, it is providing inside of this gospel something very unique, and it's the motion and the urgency and the expectancy of everything that's coming. But I want to warn you as you're going through, because what you're reading is becoming what you're praying. And so if you read carelessly, your prayers are going to become careless. But read with an intentionality about it. And I want to encourage you, when you see the word immediately, instead of speeding up, slow down. When you see immediately, don't see it as as John Mark checking a box and moving to the next thing. But instead, see it as a bridge from one thing to the next thing. And ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit, what is the bridge? Why is this connecting to is? Why is John Mark wanting me to get to the next event so quickly that I don't forget what just happened in that immediately? The second thing is this. is the movement of Christ. The next is the work of Christ. We've referred to it um, a couple of times. But in Mark, you're going to learn about Christ and who he is more from his work than from his words. And because of that, it's important that the action of Christ is the verbs. Write that word down and put an exclamation beside it. Verbs. Look at the verbs. Because if Jesus is the main character, he's doing the verbs. What is he doing? Why is he doing it? Who is he doing it to? What's his motivation for doing that? And you will learn so much about the heart and the activity of Christ through his incredible, incredible work. And the last thing is this, the heart of Christ. So we have the movement of Christ, the work of Christ, and the last one is so incredibly special, the heart of Christ. As I leave um, five weeks 
out of um, spending time in the, the book of um, the gospel of Mark, this is one thing that I walk away with as the treasure of all treasures. Although there's not a lot of words and there is much action inside of this, Mark does not neglect at all and in fact increases the awareness of what is going on inside of Jesus. His motive, his heart, his will, and his emotions. As he's walking with his disciples, as he's teaching the masses, as he's healing the one, and as he's having his own personal journey to the cross, Mark consistently reveals the inside of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. And just a couple examples. He shows us the tender compassion of Jesus that moves him to feed the 5,000. Do you see how quickly we can think about the feeding of the 5,000 and neglect why did Jesus do that? It wasn't for a moment of spotlight. Mark tells us it was his compassion for the people that did that. That's the Jesus you serve. It also tells us about the astonishment of Jesus, the one who knows all things, who is God himself in the flesh, is astonished by, do you know what he's astonished by? Unbelief. It astonishes him. And he says, why do you keep asking for a sign? The Son of Man, the Son of God stands right in front of you displaying the works of one that only God could do. But yet you still want a sign that astonishes me. The righteous indignation of Jesus that turned over tables. I'm afraid we use this example for us to get angry. We like, we like this story a lot, right? Um, but Jesus, is, we are not like Jesus, right? Um, but he did. He had righteous anger and righteous indignation in that temple as Jesus turned over this table. And the last one is on the cross itself. The desperate cry of a son that had been forsaken by his father. And he did that for you and for me. He was forsaken not because he did something wrong. He was forsaken because he took all of the wrong of us and placed it on himself. On himself. And he didn't do it like a robot. He did it with pain. And he did it with agony. And he did it with tears. What was his motivation? Love. He loves you. And so every emotion that you feel, know that it is a God-given gift. And will you allow Christ to lead that emotion that he has too felt? Or will you let your flesh take over and rule the day? So as we are preparing this morning, we have covered why this gospel is unique and important. We've covered who John Mark is, which is really important. We've covered some what do I need to look for each day, but I want to leave you with one question and one command 
that could be a part of every single day, not just for 21 days, but for the rest of your life as you study God's word. Let's start with the question. So this is one daily question that needs to be answered. The question is this, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he? Mark begins the gospel. These are some crazy things that I'm just so thankful that I'm learning. Mark begins his gospel with a strong, unwavering declaration of belief. Oftentimes, these first verses in the books of the Bible, we just kind of see them as precursor, right? We just kind of, we just kind of blow right over them. When it's beginning the statement that becomes the thesis for the rest that will be following. And this is the first verse of Mark. He says and writes, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Inside of this becomes two confessions that are really, really strong and important for the rest of the gospel as well as for our lives today. The first one is this, that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You take him away, there is no more good news. He is the good news. He's not a part of the good news. It's not because he came to the party that it became good news. He is the substance and the essence of the good news. And so you have... Mark saying, Jesus, the Son of Man, is the promised, anointed Messiah of God. We do understand that Christ is not Jesus' last name. I say that in jest. I say that in jest. But when we say Jesus Christ, is that how we're using it? That we make him just as common as Carrie Dean or Amy Dean? No. Jesus, the Son of Man, Christ, the promised, long-awaited, anointed one from the Father, Jesus Christ. In Mark 8, after many miracles seen and teachings heard, Jesus asked his disciples an important question. He says, who do people say that I am? He only asked that question to lead to the bigger question. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, Who do you say that I am? And it would be John Mark's mentor that said, You are the Christ. You're the Christ. And I can't help but believe that in this very first verse of Mark, it is Mark's own answer to that question that has not left his heart. Mark, John Mark, who do you say that I am? You are Jesus Christ, and this is your gospel, not mine. The second declaration, confession inside of this simple verse is that Jesus Christ is what? The Son of God. And this comes at the highest point of the entire gospel of Mark. And it's a a point in Mark's telling that it is the first time that a believing man or woman 
has declared Jesus to be the Son of God. There was another declaration that happened earlier, but that was from the demon. Do you remember that story? It's the demon says, you're the son of God. And Jesus quickly, I love how Mark does it, he quickly hushed him. <laughs> he did more than hush him, but he, because it was not time for that to be revealed. But it was not until the very end of, of this gospel of Mark that a man stood before God and with his lips said, truly, this is the son of God. It didn't come from a disciple. It didn't come from a family member. It didn't come from one who had experienced the healing power of Jesus. It didn't come from one of those religious leaders who finally got it. No, it came from the Roman centurion guard that stood at the foot of the cross watching this man take his last breath, hanging between two thieves with above his head is the the conviction of being king of the Jews. And it says in Mark 15, 39, and when the centurion who stood facing him, when every other disciple was not even close, this Roman centurion stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And I have to tell you, there are so many things that I want to unpack. And everything within me is wanting to preach 21 sermons right now, all right? But that's not my desire on this morning. It is to prepare you, not to preach to you. But I do want to tell you, as you open up Mark and you meditate on the passage for each day, which births prayer in your heart, would you be like the centurion guard? And would you stand before the cross of Christ every single day? For it is only there that your heart will be able to recognize that he is truly the son of God. It is only in the light of the cross that his work and his word make sense. Don't leave the shadow of the cross because it is only in the shadow of the cross that you can answer the question rightly. Who do you say that I am? It is only there that you can say you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that's the question. And I want to leave you with a command. And it is one that happens throughout the book of Mark, but it's also one that is the series title, Follow Me so I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to do more than encourage. I love the word exhort. I just like saying the word exhort. It's a good word, exhort. Encourage, that's so soft. Exhort, that's strong. I like it. So I want to exhort you that every day that you say yes to wherever he is leading. Just say yes. Follow 
with a determined love and a quick obedience and a full surrender. Let me say that again. Determined love, quick obedience, full surrender. And I can hear your heart saying what my heart says when I say it. That sounds so easy. It sounds so simple and it sounds so right. And Carrie, just don't pray right now because I need more. Because I've tried that. In fact, I tried every single day. And I just get frustrated with myself. I want determined love for him that doesn't waver. I want a quick obedience instead of delaying it. I want a full surrender instead of a partial surrender. But before I can share the good news, I need us to be very real about why that's true. And may this 21 days be a refining fire of our heart. Because to know Christ means to know who we are following. So that begs the question, who are you following? Many of us are following a Jesus we wouldn't recognize if he walked in this room today. We have this picture in our head that is not who he is. We've gotten the paintbrushes out and we've made him so beautiful. And his beauty goes beyond what we value most often, which is the external. His beauty is inward, beyond a beauty that we could ever knew. But we wouldn't recognize him if he walked into this room. I'm afraid we follow a Jesus who we pick and we choose what we want to believe. We follow a Jesus that we choose to remain ignorant. And I say this not as as a guilt trip, but it's a real question. How much time do you spend with him? How, How much time in his word do you spend? Prayer. What is that like with you and him? Or is he a Jesus in a little box that we pull out on a Sunday and we lift our hands and we sing our songs and we go home? That's not, Jesus was on a cross, not in a box. Why do I say it so firmly and directly to you? Because I know my own heart. That's why I say it. There came a crux of this moment of faith when I was about 30 years old. And I had this question. I, I was a pastor inside of a church. And I'm asking this question. There has to be something more to this. What is it? I'm doing all the things. I'm praying all the prayers. I'm singing all the songs as a pastor. There has to be something more to this. What is it? Because nothing was fully satisfying my heart. Nothing. And inside of that journey with the Lord, he showed me that my core problem was this. That over time, I was following a Jesus that I formed instead of following the Jesus that formed me. 
I was making him into a Jesus that I could follow. Instead of laying everything down and saying, no, Jesus, you are who you are. And I follow you fully for who you are. And it's, it's this gospel of Mark that's so necessary in these four gospels that we have. Because it's Mark that paints Jesus throughout his gospel as this word, these two words that we don't want to hear. We want to call Jesus king. We want to call him Lord but we don't want to call him suffering servant. Jesus tells us why he came. His purpose for coming demanded a cross. And he says in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, Carrie Dean. If you are following Christ, you are not seeking to be served, Carrie Dean. You are seeking to whom can you serve? This was the something more I personally was looking for and I didn't even know it. And Christ was telling me that all that was missing in my walk that was so unsatisfying with him could be found, listen to this, in embracing the cross so that I could experience the power of his resurrection. We want a Christian life and we want a Jesus who puts the resurrection first and ignores the cross. We just want the power of the resurrection. Well, that comes with a death on a cross, yours and mine, so that he may live. And it says in Mark eight thirty four, and calling the crowd to his, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, you know the verse, but maybe you're hearing it in a different way right now, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So 25 years later, yes, that will tell you how old I am. 25 years later, I feel like I'm only, I'm, and I'm being very serious about this. There's been some recent things that happened in mine and Amy's life that, real, that made me realize just how far I'm not. That I'm just now beginning to discover what it means to follow Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The denying of self is a daily battle for me, but oh, the satisfaction when I trust him. Resting in the shadow of his cross is a challenging place to remain there. Instead of visiting there, remaining there. And my flesh tells me a thousand and one reasons why to put down that cross that I'm carrying. But oh, the honor and the joy to share in the sufferings of Christ. We suffer with him. You do know that. It's not this grade scale where we, he then gives us a report card to say how well we suffered, right? You do know that, right? We suffer with him because here's the promise. If we suffer with him, His resurrection power is also with him. It's not cards that he's divvying out. 
It is with him. And so that is why it is an honor and a joy. Because in the sharing of the suffering, we get to see what his intention is. We get to experience the beauty of his glory in a way that if we kept in our own glory, we would never experience. And to follow Christ when I am so prone to distractions and flesh's impulses is a humbling reminder of just how weak I am. But oh, the resurrection power that comes with every step taken. So the application for you is a very simple one. What does your next 21 days look like? It's that simple. Will you walk out the door today and say, another Sunday? Or will you get what you need? Will you go online at bcmi.com slash pray21? It's all there. And will you commit your heart to know him and to follow him. If that's the case, I want you to imagine what Easter Sunday morning looks like in this same room three weeks from now. Because we're not the same, right? We're not the same. It would be more than the songs that were selected on that morning. It would be this eruption of joy as we together go through Mark 15 and Mark 16. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we enter this place going, yes, Jesus, yes. And when asked as the body of Christ, who do you say that I am? And with one exclamation, we say, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. May his name be blessed. And I pray for you. I pray that you would embrace this 21-day journey. And that he would do in you even more than he's done already in me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And... um, It's so comforting to know, Lord, we are talking about 21 days, but Lord, you know no time. You are in no hurry. There are no deadlines that that are demanded of you, Lord. You you hold all time in your hand. And so, Lord, we, we place our 21 days into your infiniteness. And Lord, we pray as you know our hearts better than we know our hearts that in these 21 days, Lord, that you would prepare us. Not just that we can have an incredibly awesome service on Easter Sunday morning. Lord, it might be the greatest gift of all at coming in that we would be have such a holy hush about us that not the first song would be sung. But there would be this holy silence before you for what should our lips even be able to utter before someone who is so strong and mighty and loving and has pursued us with such a relentless grace. Lord, take our hearts, mold them, and shape them. Lord, birth within our hearts a conviction just like Mark 1.1 
that it wouldn't be just verses we've memorized, but Lord, it's the verses that have memorized us, that have become part of our very fabric of believing. And Lord, I pray, Lord, above all, that you would be the centerpiece in these next 21 days, not just in a quiet time, but more so, Lord, in our lives in the hard days of our life, in the good days of our life, that you would be the centerpiece. We love you, and we give you all glory, honor,